Today on Bold Steps Weekend, Mark Job speaks up about starting right. We don't want to be honest. We'd rather glaze over things. We don't want to take a fearless moral inventory of the broken down sections of our life. If you're ever going to rebuild right, you have to be honest with yourself. Welcome to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job. Mark is president of Moody Bible Institute and the senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm Wayne Shepherd. We're in a verse-by-verse study in the book of Nehemiah, and we're at the point where Nehemiah has been given the go-ahead to start rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, and he's contemplating the first step in that rebuilding process. Mark, as we begin, let me ask you, have you ever put on a shirt and ended up matching a button with the wrong buttonhole on that shirt? Hate to admit it. Wayne, but all the time, (laughs) especially when I'm getting up early in the morning, don't want to turn the light on and letting D sleep at uh, in the morning. But you know, you if you get the first button wrong, all the other something's not right. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, I was in a chapel recently and reminding uh, the students here at Moody about that getting the first button right. With Nehemiah, it's the same thing. Everybody that's listening to me right now. If God has put a burden on your heart and you're wrestling with what to do with it, there comes a point in a time where it ceases just to be a burden and now it's turned into a call. Mm. And you have to ask yourself this question, what is the first step that God is asking me to take? And that's the first button. What is the first step that God is asking me to take? You better get that first step right. So true. Well, let's get started now. Join us in Nehemiah chapter 2, starting about verse 11 now, as we learn what it means to start right. Here's Pastor Mark Job with today's Bold Steps. And what happens when someone engages in a false start? The whole race has to what? Go back to the starting line. In fact, I remember one race where they had to do it two or three times. In fact, if you do it more than three times, I believe you get disqualified. And because sometimes... We're starting out, but we start out wrong. Our start is ineffective. And when we start out wrong, sometimes we have to go back to square one so that we can start all over again. There are some of you today that you're starting to rebuild your life, starting to rebuild your marriage, starting to rebuild your family, starting to rebuild your spiritual life and all that that entails. And I want to talk to you today about what it, how to start rebuilding the right way. Uh, some of you, now not talking about just starting, but I'm start, talking to you about starting to rebuild. Uh, some of you look at your life right now and say, well, I had a bad beginning that I had nothing to do with. I mean, I grew up in a family maybe that <clears throat> was dysfunctional and I had nothing to do I didn't choose my alcoholic stepfather, and I didn't choose to uh, be uh, abused or beaten as a kid, and I didn't choose to be born in sort of a dysfunctional cycle of a family. And you look at yourself right now, and you say, I have to rebuild my life because I started out wrong, and my life is a bit in ruins, and I have to start out all over. Uh, Some of you maybe got married very young, 
and you started out your marriage on the wrong foot from day one. And you look at your marriage and you say, you know what, boy, I started out bad and now seven years into my marriage, I'm finding myself having to rebuild this whole thing because I started out wrong. Uh, some of you maybe have found yourselves caught in the throngs of addiction and you're realizing, hey, I've spent 10 years, 12 years in this cycle of addiction, tearing my life apart, and now finally I'm at a point where I'm ready to begin to rebuild my life. But I look, at over, I look over my past and I feel like there's a lot of broken down pieces. So if you're at a point in your life where you believe that God is calling you to, to rebuild, then this message is just for you. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. By the way, for those of you that haven't been coming every week, let me just reintroduce you to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an assistant to the king of Persia. He was living well, had a good paying job, comfortable with life. Suddenly he gets a report that turns his life upside down. He gets a burden that he can't get released of. He's living in a town called Susa. He hears a report about Jerusalem that's been in ruin for 141 years and feels like God is calling him to lead the effort to rebuild Jerusalem. He gets the favor of the king and finds himself traveling 800 miles from Susa to Jerusalem to rebuild a city whose walls are in ruin, whose people are discouraged. There's demotivation on the city streets. The temple is not functioning. The church is fallen apart, they need revival, their infrastructures are broken down, there's oppression, financial, economic, uh, and bigoted oppression happening in the city, and God calls Nehemiah to go back and begin to rebuild this city of Jerusalem. We pick up in verse 11, it says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no, no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. If you're starting to rebuild your family, your life, your marriage, your church, your city, your neighborhood, then I want you to, to jot down these four key concepts and principles about rebuilding. Number one, jot this down. As you begin to rebuild, you will need to exercise spiritual restraint and refuse to speak until the time is right. You know, before you move forward, you need to prepare your heart. I want you to notice that Nehemiah arrived at Jerusalem. He had a group of military escort. 
He had lumber in carts. He had traveled 800 miles. And he gets there. The people of the city are watching them as he comes in the city with his horses and escort and wondering what he's doing. He establishes himself in the city. There's curiosity seekers. There's people that are doubting why he came to the city. But for three days, he says nothing about why he's in Jerusalem. Doesn't that strike you as a little strange? Why didn't he say anything? I mean, most of us would have arrived at Jerusalem waving our flags. I'm here to rebuild the wall. He says nothing. People are saying, what are you here for? Silence. Hey, what's this guy doing with all this lumber? Silence. Because over the course of the years, you will discover if you're going to rebuild your life or rebuild your marriage or family, sometimes you need to learn to be silent until the time is right to speak it out. I think a lot of us are used to speaking things out impulsively and we don't follow through on those things so people don't believe us anymore. How many of you are married to husbands that ha have a business idea every other week? One week they're going to start a restaurant, and the next week they're going to start a health club, and then they're going to start a window washing business, and then they're going to get into sumo wrestling, and they got all kinds of ideas. And, and you can't keep track of those ideas, and they speak it out. And you see them next time and say, hey, how's that restaurant going? Oh, no, now it's a health club. You just can't keep track of all these ideas because they get excited about something and they speak it out, but they don't follow through on it so people stop believing what they're saying. Oftentimes in our life, we get excited about something, but we haven't yet counted the cost of what it will take to really rebuild this. And so sometimes we speak something out in haste, but haven't really thought through the amount of energy and effort that it will take to really make this thing happen. And I believe that we need to simmer on what God is speaking to our heart and we need to not speak it out until God has confirmed it and we have the faith enough to begin to believe it and speak it. Do you realize that there's a connection between what you believe and what you speak? In the New Testament, the Bible says that you need to believe in your heart and you need to do what with your mouth? Confess. You need to believe in your heart, but then you have to confess with your mouth. There's a correlation between believing and confessing. Listen, if you don't believe it enough to confess it, then you don't believe it enough. But if you just confess it, but don't really believe it enough, then you'll never do anything about it. You have to believe it enough in your heart. It has to be confirmed in your heart. Listen, some of you are deciding whether you want to make a commitment to follow Christ. And maybe in your heart you say, well, I've believed in my own heart, but haven't told anybody. Let me tell you something. If you don't believe enough to speak it publicly, then you probably have not believed enough. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's like getting married. People say, well, you know, I love her. You know, we've been dating for seven years. Well, how about getting married and publicly telling everybody about it? Well, I'm not ready for that yet. Then you know what? You don't love her enough yet to make a commitment. Nehemiah is simmering these things in his heart. Notice what it tells us in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2. It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty 
and miss the way. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Proverbs 29 verse 20. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. In other words, it's telling us, hey, you need to find the right time to speak. If God is working in your heart, then let it be confirmed. Let your faith grow. Uh, hold that deeply in your heart and let God confirm it through people, through things. And when finally you go to speak, make sure that when you speak it, it's full of faith and that you're going to follow through and do it. Amen? Well, you're listening to Pastor Mark Job, and this is Bold Steps Weekend. The title of today's message is Starting Right. We're examining the leadership of Nehemiah. Now, just a quick break to let you know that if you miss any part of the broadcast here, no problem. You can always listen at your convenience on our website, boldstepsweekend.org. All of our past programs are available anytime, anywhere on demand. That's boldstepsweekend.org. And we'd love to have you join us as a Bold Partner if you're a regular listener. These are people who choose to give on a monthly basis to keep Bold Steps coming your way each and every weekend. I'll have more on that at the end of the teaching, and we hope it's something you'll prayerfully consider. Well, Nehemiah took the time to investigate the full scope of the work before him, and it's something we need to do as well before rebuilding parts of our spiritual lives. With more on Starting Right, here again is Pastor Mark Job on Bold Steps Weekend. Secondly, honestly investigate the full scope of the problem before you initiate action. Notice what it says in verse 13. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal wall and the dung gate. By night I went out. Now does that strike you a little bit strange that Nehemiah would get on a horse and examine the wall at night? At night? Why would he examine foot by foot, section by section, a construction project in the middle of the night? You see, I believe that Nehemiah went to examine it because he didn't want anybody awake to disturb him. I believe this was a God and Nehemiah moment. That he wanted to be in the middle of the night when everybody was sleeping so that he wouldn't have the distraction of other people around him and that he could carefully examine what he was about to embark in doing. And I believe that he needed a quiet, solitude moment before God as he took a clear inventory of this challenge that was ahead of him. Now... You need to understand that this wall that Nehemiah was about to build was about a mile and a half long around Jerusalem. This was no small project. And sometimes we think about building the wall around Jerusalem. Some of you picture a wall that's about yay high, kind of a fence. That, no, 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 no. This wall was 15 feet high. Okay? About 3 feet wide, 15 feet high, and a mile and a half long. Now, I, I grew up in northern Spain where they built houses out of rock. And I lived in a house for years whose walls were probably about this thick because they were built out of rock. 
And if you've ever seen a stone cutter build something, it's not like slapping a brick on top of another one and putting a little cement in between. I mean, this is quite a project. You have to cut the stone so that it fits with other stone, and you have to find the right size and right pieces. I mean, it is a massive project to be able to do this. And they were about to build a mile and a half wall, three feet wide, 15 feet high, and he was about to engage in this project, and he wasn't a contractor. It was a huge project. And I believe that he wanted to examine the damage by night so that God could speak to his heart so he could have this quiet moment of examination. Here's what I want you to understand. I believe that before you start rebuilding, that every single one of us needs to take time in our life to be honest with ourselves about the damage in our life or our family that needs to be rebuilt. Can I tell you something? I think a lot of us live in denial. I think a lot of us don't want to really see the true condition of our heart and soul and family and finances. I think a lot of us don't take time to examine our life. We don't take a, if I, were, if I were to challenge you to take a tour of your life right now, to look at your spiritual life, look at your heart, uh, if you're married, to look at your marriage, look at your finances, look at your walk with God, look at your relational, uh, your, the relational aspects of your life, and really take an honest, like in, in recovery language, a fearless moral inventory of your life, what would you come up with? If you were to be honest with yourself. See, a lot of people live in a lot of denial in their life and they don't like to talk about what really the condition of their life. I'm not talking about being negative, but I'm talking about being honest. When is the last time that you've really examined your life and asked yourself, what is my life at this time really like? Uh, some of us don't like to go to the doctor because we're afraid of what the doctor's going to say to us. We, we don't want to go to the doctor and hear that our cholesterol's high, so we just don't go. Uh, some of us don't want to sit down with the financial advisor because we really don't want to know how much debt we're in. We would like to sort of live a bit in denial because we don't really want to know. Uh, some of us don't really want to go to a marriage counselor because we're afraid our wife's really going to talk and open up about how bad things are. So we would rather say, we're like every other marriage. Everybody struggles a little bit. Everybody has issues. But we really don't want to sit down with a third party and really get in the nitty-gritty about how dysfunctional, broken down, full of undealt with issues our life really is. We don't want to be honest. We'd rather glaze over things. We would rather be gen, uh, generic about things. We don't want to take a fearless moral inventory of the broken down sections of our life. Here's what I want you to understand. If you're ever going to rebuild right, you have to be honest with yourself. You'll never start rebuilding until you know how broken down areas of your life are. Listen to me. You'll never get help for your addiction until you finally admit that you have a problem. 
You'll never go to a marriage counselor until you finally determine, hey, our marriage has definite issues in it. And we're not just going to act like there's no issues and sweep it under the rug. I mean, we're going to confront the issue that, yes, our marriage, it has serious issues in it, and I need help. Uh, You're never going to get mentoring in your spiritual life until you admit how hard your heart really is. Oh, you say, well, Pastor, I go to church on Sunday, and I, you know, even raise a hand during worship, and I'm glad you do. How many of you know you can go to worship service on Sunday and raise your hand and your heart can still be hard? Hello? I'm talking about being honest with yourself. I'm talking about being real with yourself. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. I believe that Nehemiah examined the walls. The, The word in the Hebrew here for examine is the word that's used when a doctor probes a wound to survey the extent of the damage that's been incurred. I I believe that when we're looking at how bad things are, we can't look at it from a distance. We have to get up close and examine it. I I don't believe that we can just do a cursory look at where uh, the condition of our heart. I believe we have to stop. I believe we have to be quiet. I believe we have to take a real close look at how things are. When there's a natural disaster that happens in America, uh, the president gets notice that there's a disaster. But, but remember the fires that happened in California and, and thousands of people were displaced. If you remember when there's a national disaster, uh, the, the president proclaims it, but then he goes and he visits it. And he went to the place so he could smell the smoke and see it and look at the people and talk to the people because you have to survey the extent of the damage. Before you know what it's going to cost to repair, before you know the work that's involved in it, you have to be honest about how bad the damage really is. Some of us have never done that. Some of us have never stopped. Uh, some of you have been avoiding that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians where it talks about having communion before the Lord's Supper, it says, examine yourselves. Take a look at your life. If we were to get on a fictional horse and we were to survey the wall of your life right now uh, and, and make a checklist of condition of the heart, a condition of spiritual life, condition of thought life, condition of forgiveness and bitterness and softness towards God and obedience in your life, if we were to take a tour of your spiritual life, your relational life, what would that checklist look like today? How honest have you been with yourself lately? But if you're going to rebuild, you have to be honest. Thirdly, I'm talking about what it takes to start to rebuild our life in a way that God can really use. By the way, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, it says, whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down without walls. It compares a person to a city that's broken down. This is Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, and we have got our hard hats on as we continue to consider what it takes to rebuild our spiritual lives 
using Nehemiah's example as our guide. Well, here's a word for you, relentless. That's how we sometimes feel about the steady stream of monthly bills that come our way, don't we? Electric bills, phone bills, rent or mortgage payments. They arrive at our homes relentlessly, meaning they never quit. Well, the same is true for this radio program. We have monthly bills too, and they show up relentlessly. And that's why we value our listening friends who become our monthly bold partners. Bold partners who give $30 a month or more enjoy a 50% discount off the entire line of Moody Publishers Bible studies, biographies, and kids' books. Everything at our website, half off. So why not help us shoulder the load of expenses when you become a monthly partner today? Call us at 866-535-5580. That's 866-535-5580. Or become a Bold Partner online when you go to boldstepsweekend.org. And also, when you give a gift of any amount to support this ministry, we'll send you best-selling author Gary Chapman's book, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married. This practical little book is packed with wisdom and tips that will help many develop the loving, supportive, and mutually beneficial marriage so many people long for. Whether you are engaged or dating or even thinking about going on a date, the time to start preparing for marriage isn't later down the line, it's right now. So be sure to request a copy of Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married when you give your gift to Bold Steps Weekend. Once again, you'll find us online at boldstepsweekend.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd on behalf of the entire team. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time when Mark continues this series with part two of the message, Starting Right. It's coming up next time on Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.